Welcome to the Pulse that moves the Triangle world today. This one-size-fits-all broadcast is a vibrant collection of stories, medical breakthroughs, helpful tips, what's trending, events, and boundless other adventures. It's a conversation pit of comedians, politicians, authors, chefs, sports figures, experts, the common and the uncommon. Here's the host of Triangle 411, Mary Innsprecher. Hi, friends. I don't know if you knew that we have a canine hero living right here in Cary. It's Sergeant Yeager who won the Purple Heart for his service as an IED detection dog with the U.S. Marines in Afghanistan and Iraq. We're going to talk about that a little bit today with the person who adopted Sergeant Yeager, Caroline Zuendal. But also with us today, we have Dr. Jennifer Getz, a pet behavioral consultant and cat whisperer from the Animal Hospital at Briar Creek in Raleigh. So she's here to hopefully shed some light on maybe what our animals are thinking about. So let's start with you, Caroline. Can you give us some background on Sergeant Yeager? Sergeant Yeager, he's right now, he's 13 years old, so he's, he's been around for a while, but um, he did three combat tours with the United States Marine Corps. Uh, one, the first one was in Iraq, and the second one, or the following two were in Afghanistan, and it was on April 12, 2012, when they were in the Helmand province that he and his handler experienced an explosion. Uh, that is where Jaeger earned his purple heart. He lost part of his ear, and he has some shrapnel wounds in his snout. And unfortunately, his handler, Lance Corporal Abraham Tarlow, uh, passed away. He didn't survive his injuries. And um, so Jaeger was sent back to the States. He was rehabilitated. And that following, I believe it was early October, our family was able to adopt him. And he's just been with us. Uh, there's some, we had some hospital stays with um, some injuries that my former spouse had from his deployment to Afghanistan. And Jaeger was with us at the hospital and you know, brought a lot of good morale to the veterans there. We had so, so many different types of injuries that they were healing from. And, and just for us to go through a pretty hard time in our own family and became part of our family and we kind of forget about his story because he is just he's just part of who we are now and so the awards that he's gotten in this past year they really helped us remember the service that he gave to our country and also remember his handler Miss Corporal Tarlow so that kind of brings us to present day with him so now he's just regular old spot to you guys, right? Yeah, kind of. Well, so I do work for a defense contractor, and he comes to work with us. So he he doesn't stay home like a, a typical dog might, but um, he comes because I, I just I, I don't like the idea of him being home alone after everything he's done for our country. I know it makes him feel very isolated. So he gets bragged on. Whenever people come into the office and make make funny jokes, oh, this is our resident bomb dog, and, <laughs> uh, you know, because it, it, he's so silly and goofy and just friendly that it's just it's kind of a 
uh, an interesting paradox to think of him being in such a violent scenarios because he's so sweet and you just you just wouldn't know by getting to know him. When you first um, adopted him, did you recognize any signs of anxiety or post-traumatic stress? Or That's really hard for me to say, and perhaps Dr. Getz would have some insight into that, it, you know, because they don't talk, so and we didn't know him before. He, he was six years old when we adopted him, so we didn't have any, um, anything to compare it to. But he was just so well behaved because he had just gotten out of the service. And so everything was very structured for him. He wouldn't look at another animal. He wouldn't look at food. He wouldn't do anything. He would just go along with us. He would wait for permission on just about any action. And um, and then they just started noticing. And, and I, again, I don't know everything that they can retain, but he sometimes has these dreams that are so seemingly vivid, you know, where he does the whimpering and he seems like he's trying to run and just very vocal while he's sleeping. And and because I know what he's been through, uh, it makes me wonder is some of this, him recalling what he experienced overseas, especially during that last deployment. And, and so I'm not really sure what the best uh thing to do in that situation is so we usually just kind of gently wake him up and reassure him and he seems grateful and you know gives you kisses and just seems happy to be awake again and um so I I just because I I'm kind of ignorant on what he might retain well let's Um, get the let's get the doctor in here for her thoughts on this that's kind of funny that you were talking about his vivid dreams because I have a a senior dog as well. She's a 12 year old pit mix that I Mm -hmm. got from a client that couldn't keep her. And she does the same thing when she's sleeping. So I don't know if it's, you know, dogs that have had active lives. She's always had a yard and been able to chase squirrels and things. And she has very vivid dreams where she makes little whimpering sounds and her legs are running like she's chasing after something, or if it's more senior dog thing, because she didn't used to do it so much when she was younger. So Um, I mean, as far as post-traumatic stress, I mean, with dogs, it's, I see a lot more anxiety of dogs that have had not quite the right beginning in life when they're younger and they either were neglected or abused when they were very young with the, I see several police dogs and with the police dogs that I see, I mean, they tell us if they have to stay with us for any reason, make sure you don't make any loud noises or pop any balloons or anything that would sound like a gunshot or anything like that, because they might think it's something, and and don't raise your voice to them because, you know, they could be thinking that you're a bad guy they're supposed to chase. But I haven't really seen any real anxiety in them. Um, we see a retired police dog and I see two active duty police dogs as well in Morrisville and the retired police dog. He's now, now that he's been retired for several years, he's mellowed out a lot, but still they're just like you say, I mean, they're used to structure and commands and he comes in and he sits for his exam and he's, you know, his handler still tells him all his commands and, 
in German and he's, you know, still follows everything that he's supposed to. So they are very, very structured and very used to that. And I, th I think once they get so used to that, they kind of like to retain some of that. So now, now he's in the house and the house dog, but he still kind of keeps some of that structure to him. It almost sounds like he's wanting to be, or all these animals are wanting permission to show some kind of emotion because they're so structured. It's like, okay, where, where is emotions in their training? Yeah. I mean, they're taught to be, you know, like little soldiers almost. So they're, that's what they're used to do. And they, same with cats, a lot of times structure, it really helps anxiety in animals because they know what's going to come next. And they know well, if I do this, you know, this is going to happen. So they really are able to more predict, you know, what's, what's coming next because everything's so structured and that really is relieving of anxiety because things aren't just, you know, who, who knows what's going to happen next or something could, you know, immediately change. This structure seems to be pretty comforting, I think. So it sounds like Caroline's done a great job with Sergeant Yeager, but, um, any advice to her about how to handle this? Uh, I know, again, as a behavioral consultant, you know, you see destructive behavior, aggression, anxiety, different things like that. And anything she could use or do at this point to help him have more peaceful sleep, et cetera? The big thing with dogs is people tend to try to do things where they're trying to make them less anxious and trying to help them, but they're actually inducing anxiety very often when people are going to go out of town and leave their pet or if they're leaving for the day or if they have to leave their pet at a, at a hospital because their pet is sick, they tend to overcomfort them and give them extra attention. And the animal hears something different is going on and this is not normal. They prefer if you just pretend like it's no big deal, nothing's happening, it's not a big deal. It's just like a kid that gets a, a wound, they get a little boo-boo. If you act like it's the end of the world, the kid's going to believe it's the end of the world. If you just brush it off, they're going to just brush it off too. So that's a really big thing. And I, I think still, which I'm sure you're doing some of it, you know, keeping things somewhat structured. The meal times come at the regular meal times. You know, we go out at regular times and you know, a little bit of structure is kind of comforting because they, again, they know what's going to come next and things aren't so stressful when, because there's tends to be anxiety when they don't know what's going to happen. The other thing is that if they do ever act anxious, again, not playing into it, just acting, either distract them or ignore them and kind of make it not a big deal because the more you make it a big deal, the bigger deal it is. That makes sense. That makes a lot of good sense. Uh, Caroline, how did you come to adopt Sergeant Yeager? Um, it, it was just a, a process. Uh, I, was, I was married at the time, and, and like I said, my husband was in Afghanistan. He was actually kind of in the same area as Yeager, unbeknownst to us, just with a different unit. And um, he just got friendly with some of the dog handlers, and he was like, well, I really want to have one. He learned through the handlers that they're adopted out after they serve, uh, after they're done serving. And so I was at home doing the emails and figuring out who we were being in touch with. And there was just, there was an application process. Uh, they want to know if you have animals already, what kind of animals, you know, basic things. And so, so they're actually owned by 
a contracting company that the government uses. And these companies um, basically train the dog with the service member, and they're responsible for the dog throughout the course of the dog's life until retirement, uh, but including placing the animal. So just we just navigated that process and figured out who was the point of contact and and they let you know that there's a dog available and they don't you don't know who it is until you go pick the dog up and you don't know their story until you pick them up so um Jaeger came home that fall and we heard his story and it was just very sweet and I've learned way more about his story uh in recent years just from Marines reaching out to me and sharing more um details that I, I wouldn't have been able to know otherwise, but it is just kind of a cool process, and especially because Jaeger and his handler, uh, Lance Corporal Tarlow, apparently had a very sweet bond. Uh, they, I'm sure they always do, but there was something about their bond that really stuck out with the organization that was training them together, and they remembered him and just were just delighted to know he's still doing well. And, you know, I think it says something when a dog can leave an impression on people just by his nature um, and how he interacts with people. So so that was kind of lengthy way of saying there was like a whole application process we went through and we were able to get him. You know, I never thought about that end of it. Like I'm just jumping to, you know, the post-traumatic stress or the anxiety or whatever he would have gone through. But I never thought about just in general, any pet will miss their master if they're separated. So he must have also gone through a period of depression. That's what we were told that, and and he really should have had one more deployment. And and what we were told was because of his uh, apparent depression, they had some mercy on him and let him out sooner. There's a really beautiful picture of him overseas after the explosion. Um, when somebody's killed overseas, they'll take the boots of the service member and they'll put the rifle in it um, and have a memorial service for the men who are remaining. And so there's a very sweet picture of Jaeger, you know, laying down by the boots and you can only guess what might be going through his mind. He knows that that's who um, he was with and close with and fucked with and, you know, now they're gone and he, I'm sure, felt the air that everyone was grieving for that loss. And so, yeah, he, he seemed to have a, an emotional reaction to the loss of Tarwo. I mean, that's a big change for him. He's he's not a working dog anymore. He's not with the person that he's been with for so long. So big changes like that are, are very difficult for anybody to adjust to, and especially for animals to adjust to. And the working dogs that I've seen, I mean, it's not only the, the handler that they have a strong bond to, but the police dogs that I've seen when they work them and they always come to our open house and show what they can do and they hide drugs on the cars and they have them attack the the handler or another police officer and they just 
they enjoy what they do and they enjoy working and they enjoy their reward, constant reward that they get for doing a good job and being told how wonderful they are and getting their their toy reward to play with after they, they do something good. It just gives them some utilization of their, their mind and their spirit and their body. They, they can't really get anywhere else. So I feel like it's both the not having that person that they've always been with before to stimulate them and then not having their job anymore. It's such a huge change for him. Yeah, I would agree. And, and I think that that's a big reason why I <laughs> bartered with my boss to be able to bring him because I, I when he's left home alone, he has some passive aggressive tendencies that come out that don't come out when he feels like he's being incorporated. And, um, he's so excited when he gets to go somewhere with people like going on these trips with me for his awards and such like that's super delightful to him. He gets really excited when he sees the best come out, like really excited. <laughs> and, um, he knows that he gets to go do stuff with people and that's just, what makes them feel useful. And I, and I think that that's applicable to people too. They say once you retire in the traditional sense, your mortality rate significantly declines. And I would imagine it's not much different for the working animals as well. Tell us about some of those awards that you mentioned. Uh, so he won the Canine Medal of Courage Award. We went to Washington, D.C., and he was awarded that on Capitol Hill. Uh, it's an award through the American Humane and Most Hope Foundation to honor um, service dogs, specifically from the military. So there were, I think, four of them, and, and he was one of them. And it was very, very sweet. And we had our, our, our local governor was there and paid tribute to Jaeger and Ms. Kovaltaro, gave a speech on them. Uh, very meaningful. And then... About a, year, a little more than a year ago, we started a process for him to be voted as the Military Hero Dog of the Year, which was a national competition. So he is on Facebook and Instagram, and so we would ask people to vote every day as they narrow down the dogs throughout the course of the year to whoever would be the top one. And um, so he, we had a great support from our local community that kind of spread across the nation and people voted for him and so in October we went to LA and we got to get on stage where they do the Golden Globes it was very fancy and swanky and and you know he's very unimpressed by all of that (laughs) he's just he's glad to be there with the people but um so he was he was awarded that, and that was on aired on the Hallmark Channel that month too. So it's it's been busy, and people have asked him to go on TV shows. We were in Florida last week in Palm Beach, and the local CBS had him on as well, um, just to pay tribute to him in his service. He's been very active for the past year, <laughs> and rightfully so. We certainly should pay tribute. To this hero um, and you know I think it takes a special kind of person to be able to adopt a service dog of this nature because you know you've you've been through a lot with him and you know thank goodness for people like you 
I mean, that's definitely great that he has a wonderful retirement and a good place to be. And he's got so much love and care after everything that he's been through. Oh, yeah. We were very fortunate that he's got the personality he does. It's, it's not like that with all of them. And I have three little kids. And I actually, I had my third baby when just not too long after we got Yanker. And never, not a single time, has there been an ounce of aggression from that animal. I mean, you're talking about, like, children crawling all over him. And to him, he's a horse. Or to them, he's a horse. <laughs> and, um, uh just very mild mannered and sweet and affectionate and we're just very fortunate because I, I have heard of some stories where they're not there there is some aggression and they, they can't be with families that have small children or, or we had we had cats at the time and he was very gentle. He was not in their face. He was very respectful of their boundaries to the point where they became friendly with him and it was a great uh, there's, there's some harmony between the animals, which is also pretty cool to watch. That is very cool, and I'm glad you mentioned cats because Dr. Guest is also a cat whisperer who can speak and decipher what cats are saying, yeah. speak to and decipher. Tell us a little bit about how that works. Well, the thing is, is that a lot of times when people are having behavior problems with cats or dogs, honestly, a lot of the times it's what would be considered in the wild a normal behavior, but it's something that's not acceptable in your home. And so, and sometimes it's just that their needs aren't being met. We think of them as house pets, but cats have only been domesticated for 2,000 years and dogs for 10,000 years. And they still think very close to the wild relatives, and they still have a lot of needs that need to be met. It's not just a litter box and a food bowl and a water bowl, just like with a dog, especially one that's been through this much and has so much training. They need structure, and they need to have their life kept you know, a certain way. Cats are like that, too. They're not just your easy apartment pet. It still needs to have a, a lot more environmental enrichment and a lot more of their needs met than a lot of us understand so do you uh help people with that like do do people ask you to come and talk to their cat i do what you have to do is you kind of have to find out exactly what the cat is doing and when and you have to find out exactly how the cat's environment is and what stressors and anxiety inducers that can be in their environment and what everything from where and what type of litter box they have to what type of scratching posts and toys and food and everything that's in their environment and any changes that have happened recently and and even their young life when they were kittens and how they were handled then and how they were treated then if they were in the wild or if they were with a, a home and what kind of stressors could have happened early in their life as well so it's it's a lot of kind of delving into everything that's going on in their life. Well, I'm glad there's someone out there who can do that. I mean, I think, yay, (laughs) you know, um, our pets, you know, they become our family members. So, you know, whatever you would do for a family member, you should extend that to your pet as far as I'm concerned. 
and and their whole life. I mean, just like with his dog in his retirement, you know, they shouldn't be just taken well care of when they're young and they're healthy, when they're older and they have other needs that need to be met. They need to be taken care of even more so. Well, I thank you both for being here today. Um, I'd like to go into now to the nonprofit spotlight that we do at the end of every show. And we've been talking about heroes, so there's one hero I'd like to mention from a nonprofit, Molly Goldstone. That name might be familiar to a lot of folks. Um, She's been a hero to many pets, including 20,000 dogs she has adopted out. For 15 years plus, the nonprofit Saving Grace Animal Shelter has been saving Grace and Spot and Peaches and animals in need of rescuing. She actually turned her family farm into a shelter. Now, for other nonprofits, if you're looking for breed-specific outlets, there is the Peak Lab Rescue, the Carolina Adoptables, and the Noose River Golden Retriever Rescue. And for cats, there's the Safe Haven for Cats, who has found homes for more than 10,000 cats and provided spraying and neutering service for 30,000. Well, it's time to high-five and say goodbye. This is Mary Innsbrucker for Triangle 411. Catch us on all the podcast platforms, Apple, Spotify, Google, Alexa. You know them all. Or you can visit our website, triangle411.buzzsprout.com. Please also be sure to subscribe and follow us. Today, dot, 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 open the door for someone.